All right, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 8. If you want to, uh, take your phone out, get your Bible app open, and you can follow along in there. You'll also find that the words for today will be in your program if you prefer that, or if you brought a Bible, which we hope you did, feel free to follow along in your Bible. Before I dive into what Paul writes to the Corinthians, this is his second letter to them, and he's, he's, this is a very encouraging letter because Paul's first letter to the Corinthians has been a little bit tough, uh, a little bit hard. He had to confront them about some things, and now he's circling back and he's saying, I, I want you to know God's grace. And here he's going to talk about the power and importance of God's grace in our virtues, and particularly with regard to this virtue of, of generosity. So I don't know what television you love to watch, but I, I do like to take a little time to take a brain break every now and then with my wife, Julie, and we watch especially HGTV. Any other HGTV fans here that you like to watch? I think there's something almost spiritual about watching something transform from, from dilapidation into complete renewal because that's what God has done for us. And, and so we love this show. And in particular, there's a show on nowadays uh, called Hometown. Anybody watch Hometown with Ben and Aaron Napier? Beautiful show about this couple in their late 30s who live in Laurel, Mississippi. And they're an interesting couple to us because not only do they renovate homes, but their vision is huge. If you read about them, what you're going to find out is they have a vision not just to renovate homes, but to transform communities by renewing one home after another. And, and in fact, they've already gone a long way in, in getting Laurel, Mississippi to be vastly improved through their one-home-at-a-time renewal. If you dive a little bit deeper, what you learn about Ben and Aaron Napier is that this all flows from their Christian faith. That Ben, for example, grew up as the son of an itinerant Methodist preacher. As a, as a child growing up, Ben, big, huge guy, red hair, red beard, had no home growing up as a kid that was permanent. He moved from one place to another with his dad, who was teaching the gospel. Ben's wife, Erin, grew up in this little community of Laurel. So when the two met and fell in love and got married, they ended up settling where Erin's family was. And they made this decision that they were going to help this little small town where Erin had grown up to be renewed, to be reformed, and, and to become something. And what, what you find in all of this is this, if you want to see a modern-day example of what does generosity look like, you could do a lot worse than to look at Ben and Aaron Napier, who have, have given away a lot of their services so that they could simply help a community. Now, in fact, their vision for generosity is so big 
that recently they said, it's not enough for us to just transform one small town. Let's, let's do a search and we'll find a second small town. And they did that last January. They went on a search to find another small town that they thought they could help. And through this search on HGTV, they identified a little town in Alabama called Wetumpka. You gotta just love that name, Wetumpka. And they began to transform that. And I, I wanna show you a, a couple pictures because in the town of Wetumpka are other generous people. Robert and Kim Rose, for example. Robert and Kim Rose met in the military and they came to Wetumpka with a dream. That's them. And, and their dream was to help this small community's youth. They felt that if, if you help youth in a small community, you'll help the community for a long, long time because you're helping the young people of that community. And so pretty soon, Kim, who's a teacher, began inviting kids into their home. And if you go into their home nowadays, you'll usually find 10 kids, in addition to their own two, sitting in, at the dining table doing their homework, which Kim tutors. These are a few pictures of what happened after Ben and Aaron got a hold of their house. It didn't look anything like this before. Go to the next picture, because I think there you'll see, did you already flip to the, go to the one with the dining table. That's where the kids do their homework, if you can find it. Or maybe it's just the, do the kitchen picture. I don't think I put the dining room picture up. Well, maybe we've only got three. All right, what you're seeing here is the transformation of a space used for generosity. And I want you to think about this today as I read the text, that how can I, as a person touched by the amazing generosity of Jesus Christ, and we all have been, we're going to read about that, turn that around and then be Jesus' hands and feet to, to share Jesus' generosity and our own generosity with others. All right, you can move on from the pictures. I'm going to read now. I want to read 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 8, because this is what Paul the Apostle is urging today, that, that we take the generosity that's been extended to us by God through Jesus and, and flip it around and become the generous beacons in our own community. Hear it from Paul's own mouth. And now, brothers and sisters... We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgent, urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, 
to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. So this is Paul, and he is writing, as I mentioned earlier, to a congregation in the, the southern part of Greece, a, a region called Achaia. And you may have noticed that he mentions a group of congregations. They would have been uh, Berea, Philippi, and Thessalonica that are north in Greece in a region called Macedonia. So you've got Achaia down in the south. You've got Macedonia up to the north. And these three congregations from the day Paul has stepped inside these congregations, they have been generous to him. No one has helped or supported Paul more. In fact, on the day that he first stepped into these churches, Paul met a woman named Lydia. And on that very first day, she asked Paul, do you have a place to stay tonight? She didn't know Paul from Adam you want to come and stay at my place? Rich generosity just came out of the pores of all of these people. When Paul was in prison, it was the Macedonian churches that sent representatives to Rome to make sure that he was okay. One of them almost lost his life in, in helping Paul. So that's the kind of people that you find here. People not really so different mindset-wise from what we just saw in our own modern time in Wetumpka, Alabama. People who wanted to help and make sure the gospel was being spread. And why? Well, it's interesting because in what I just read you, I left out just one passage, and it may be the most important passage. It's the passage that follows those first eight verses. I didn't entirely leave it out because I put it in your notes. So if you've got your notes or if you've got your Bibles open, I want to read you 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. And it says this to the Corinthians. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. What's Paul reminding the Corinthians of? Paul's reminding them of something the famous Lutheran theologian, Martin Luther, the very uh, forebear of all Lutheran teaching, the one who restored our eyes on God's grace. He says, this is the great exchange. There's no greater trade that you could ever make in your life. In fact, in German, it's not just called the great exchange. It, it's called die fröhliche Wechsel. There, anybody who's a native German can laugh at my pronunciation. But what that means is the joyful 
exchange, the happy exchange. And why does Paul talk about a happy or joyful exchange and point to verses like these? Because it's found many times in the Bible. He says it's a happy exchange because we get to exchange our sins for Christ's holiness. We get to trade our lack spiritually, our poverty spiritually, and receive Jesus' riches, His Holy Spirit, heaven itself, uh, and eternity being with God. That trade is something, all, all kind of stuff. Imagine that you could go on Facebook Marketplace and take all your garbage and all your junk that's broken that you you hate, you don't want anymore. It's just in your way. You're constantly tripping over it. Spiritually, that's what our guilt, our shame, and our sin is. It's our wreckage. Imagine that you could go on Facebook Marketplace and trade all your wreckage for the most beautiful pieces of furniture. Think Ben and Aaron Napier furnishing your house. And someone would agree to a trade like that. Can you imagine anybody agreeing to a trade like that? Frankly, I can't. It, it, it just wouldn't happen. But that is exactly the trade, spiritually speaking, that Jesus Christ made possible through his death and resurrection, that we get to take our sin, our guilt, our shame, our death, everything that, that is dark, shameful, things that we would not wish anyone to know about us and give them to Jesus and have Jesus say back to us, here's my holiness. You are now perfect in the sight of God. Do you know, in fact, what Christians were called in Paul's day? They were called hagioi. And that's a Greek word which simply means holy ones. They identified themselves by this term. We are the hagioi. We are the holy ones because of what Christ has given us in his riches. So Paul takes them back to that after he talks about generosity. And then you notice that little word there, for. Why be generous like this? Now I'm taking that last verse and, and, and pushing it forward because I think it's important for us to, to know at the end of the day what Paul was saying would be their motivation. What would be in their heart to create this generosity? He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Here's what I want you to fill in. The beating heart... Of all Christian virtue, generosity included, is the joyful exchange. This, this exchange, this great exchange that we get to give to God all our spiritual junk and have Him come back and give us His spiritual riches of forgiveness, new life, and eternal salvation. Now, what we're going to discuss this morning are some really important aspects of generosity, and they're especially meaningful in light of this great exchange. But Paul is going to say, here's when to be generous, here's how to be generous, and here's why to be generous. So let's, let's dive into that very first one. And I want you to think about 
the generosity that the world typically extends to others. I don't know about you, I will confess to you that this is often how my own generosity works. And that is that my generosity, because even physically speaking, uh, when I compare myself, do any of you ever do the comparison exercise of where you're at today compared to where your parents were at at their age? Or if that's not enough, compare yourself today to where your grandparents were? And think to yourself, wow, in a generation, at most in two generations, what my grandparents would have thought of as Carnegie-level wealth in their day are things that I'm living today. You know, I, I drove here this morning, and it was a little nippy out there. And I did this thing that I don't think my parents or grandparents could have even imagined. I turned on the heat seaters, seat heaters heat seaters, seat heaters, and my back got so nice and toasty on the way to church, even though it was freezing outside. Now, can you imagine your grandparents thinking about something like that? We are, we have such an abundance. We really do. And then that comes on the heels of the spiritual abundance Paul has just told us about. And, and so we, we have this sort of privilege of being able to give out of our abundance, out of, out of our leftovers, out of the over and above that we have. That's what our generosity often looks like, is that we give out of what we have left over. Well, check out the Macedonians. The Macedonians were living in a different era. Let's read verse 2. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. You know what's interesting here is that if you look at 2 Corinthians 8.2 and you hone in on that word poverty, it's the very same word that is used in 8.9 when Jesus is described as becoming poor. And it's translated as extreme poverty here because that word literally means being a homeless street beggar. That's where these people were. They had been persecuted, and most of them were being persecuted, we believe, historians believe, not just for no reason. They were being persecuted because they had been canceled. Before canceling became popular, the Macedonians got canceled because of being Christians. They lost their businesses. Many of them lost their homes. All because they had been canceled by the culture and society, by their neighbors around them. And now they have basically become, this group of Christians, a group of street beggars gathering together to at least hear that Jesus had made them spiritually wealthy. 
and that Jesus would, as we heard from Malachi, keep his promises to sustain them spiritually but also physically. And boy, how they needed that hope in the midst of, as Paul describes it here, a severe trial and extreme poverty. And yet in the midst of that, not giving from their over and above and from their abundance, but giving from their trial and their extreme poverty, they still had so much joy from this happy exchange, from this great exchange of Christ to them, that they couldn't be held back. So here's the, here's, the, here's the fill-in for this one. When were they generous? At a time when many of us would go, that's crazy. You have enough to do just to take care of yourself and your own family. Don't be a complete nuthead and start giving money away to others and, and, and giving kindness away to others. In today's world, we think, put your own mask on first, and then put others' mask on. In Paul's day, these Macedonian people that Paul is holding up as an example to the Corinthians, these northerners that he's holding up to the southerners, he's saying, even when they were basically street beggars, they wanted to be part of giving to others they saw were in need. So when they were generous, number two, here's your fill-in, in trial and poverty, in trial and poverty. Now let's look at 2 Corinthians 8, verses 3 and 4, because this is a description of how they were generous. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. So this is not just a group of people that are determined to be generous to a crazy nutty level. When everyone else is saying, take care of yourselves first, they won't let it sit Notice what Paul says here. People are telling them, don't be nutcases. And, and they're firing back and saying, they gave as much as they were able, even more than they were able. They set themselves up to not have food on the table. To not be able to, to afford a blanket to keep themselves warm. And it says they did this entirely on their own and they urgently, they were begging, don't count us out just because of these trials and because of this poverty. It's a privilege to be able to give to the Lord and to others who are in need as much if not more than we are. It's our service, our ministry to the Lord's people. These are the equivalent of David stepping out against Goliath. Now, when David stepped out against Goliath, he had the same thing. He had people saying, "What are you? you're a little boy. What are you thinking? We've got the whole Israelite army. Not one of them, experienced fighters and soldiers, is willing to step up against this guy. David, go back to the back and sit down. 
You came here to bring some food for your brothers. That's enough, brother. And David says, no, it's not enough. He goes to the king. The king tries to give him his own armor. David says, I don't want that armor. It doesn't fit me. Just give me what I'm used to. A few stones, small, smooth stones, and my sling. God will help me. Think about Jesus pointing to a widow in the temple. A widow who essentially had nothing except for one small coin. And she places all the coin in that offering. And Jesus points to her and he says, it's not about the amount. There are people who are rich giving a lot more, but they're, Jesus says, giving from their abundance, from their leftovers. This woman, she gave all that she had. That's what's going on here. These Davids are marching out to meet poverty and, and put a, a, a stone through poverty's forehead in the Christian's who were around the world that needed their gift. And we believe that was a gift for Jerusalem, for poor Christians suffering through a famine there. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. What's interesting about this word generosity is that you could also translate it, not generosity, but single-minded focus and devotion. That, that same word, generosity, means single-minded focus and devotion. Do you, do you see that in these Macedonian people? There's nothing that is going to deter them. Nothing that's going to stop them. Not poverty, not trials, not other people talking in their ears saying you've done enough. Stop being foolish with what God has given you. They're like, no, no. You can't tell me what to do and what not to do. The Lord has been generous to me through his son, Jesus Christ, through the cross and the empty tomb, through his forgiveness, through the new life that I get to live every day, this totally change and transform life of, of living with Jesus walking with me and knowing that when all this ends, heaven is next. This life is not all there is, not by a long shot. What's the old song when we've lived there 10,000 years? Not a day has gone by in reality. We have all that, the Macedonians said. And, and Jesus says no more than give us this day our daily bread. And he is fulfilling that promise to us. So whatever we have that we can step forward in faith and say Jesus will still keep his promises also with regard to how I'm sustained in life, I trust those promises. And that's how they stepped forward and urgently pleaded with Paul for the privilege of participating in this service to the Lord's people. 
So here's what I want you to write for number three. How they were generous excessively from anyone else's point of view, and they did this entirely on their own. In fact, so entirely on their own that no one could stop them. And then finally, why they were generous. And this one is really good. Here's what Paul says about why they were generous. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. Their first action, then you can underline this if you've got a pen, was to give themselves to the Lord. I want you to think about that for a second. When a group of people says, first and foremost, because Jesus first gave himself for me, I want to first give myself to him. What are they really saying? What I think they're really saying, what the Bible paints as what they're saying is they believe that this guy, Jesus Christ, is the Son of God, is the Savior of the world, is the promise keeper, as we just sang, and will do exactly as he has promised to do. And therefore, I don't have to hold back and try to control my life myself. When you give yourself to the Lord, you are giving control of your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are saying, Jesus, I I don't think I'm the best guy to to be behind the steering wheel of my life. I think you're the best guy to be behind the steering wheel of my life. I think your promises are far better than any promises I could make myself. I think your wisdom is far superior to any wisdom I could try to gain from this world. And so... I'm going to give myself to you, Lord. You do with me as you please. And then they dive into God's word. They dive into the Bible and they say, all right, what does this look like to live with Jesus in control of my life? A merciful, gracious Jesus who became poor in all ways right up to giving up his life on a cross so that I could be spiritually, physically rationally and intellectually and emotionally rich. I turn it all over to you, Jesus. That's what these Macedonians did and said, and they meant it. And it came out with them doing even more than they had hoped. I want to take you back to Ben and Aaron Napier. Because when you read their story of their faith in Christ, growing up Christian, having Christian parents. They graduated from college. They had jobs. And you know what this looked like for them? It it looked like a big risk. All, All they had done before they started HGTV as a career was to renovate their own 
home and put a few pictures of it on social media and someone caught sight of what they had done and apparently forwarded those pictures of what they had done with their house and a little bit about their vision to transform communities one house at a time. And one day the phone rang and it was HGTV on the other end of the line asking if they wanted to consider doing a series for HGTV. Now they had solid, steady jobs. They had an income. They were living where they wanted to live, but they also had what they considered to be a God-given vision. They, they believed that their vision to transform communities one house at a time was something that God himself had laid on their hearts. That small towns in today's rural U.S. need help. We all know the stories of factories closing and main streets shutting down. And, and they saw this and, and it was laid on their heart and they thought to themselves, oh my goodness, do we walk away from solid, steady jobs? Do we, do we give up? We, we want to have children. Do we give up an income that we know is there to follow what could end up being a pipe dream? And it's very vivid to me to watch a little video about Ben and Aaron saying, we didn't really know if it was the right thing to do. In fact, we weren't really sure that it was God who had laid that on our hearts. As, as any good Christian will tell you, there's a part of all of us that goes, was that God that laid that on our hearts? Or is that my own selfishness that wants that? What, what is that? We, we can't always clearly tell but they stepped forward and they took a risk because they wanted communities to be transformed. All right, let's, let's come around to us. Let's do the last fill-in and then I'll, I'll conclude by talking about us. Why they were generous, they gave themselves first. That's what these Macedonians did. That's what Ben and Aaron Napier will tell you they did. We just gave it to God. We gave our lives and our futures to him that he could do what he wanted. We did not want to be in control of our own lives. And here's your final fill-in. Trading spiritual poverty for Christ's spiritual riches is the most generous deal anyone could ever take. That deal that's spelled out in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, that frilica vexel, as Luther called it, that joyous exchange, that's the best deal you or I could ever take. It turned the Macedonians into what I called inspired inspirations, inspired by Christ's gift to them. The Macedonians became an inspiration to the Corinthians. Can I talk to you about us here at Amazing Love becoming inspired inspirations? inspired by God's gift to us. Do we have that same beautiful desire out of what God has given us, spiritually first, but also physically, to transform communities one home at a time with the gospel? I'm not, just to be clear, I'm not asking you to pick up a hammer, a wrench, 
and go transform houses physically? I'm asking you. I think Paul is asking all of us. If, if your number one value, your mission as a church is to reach the lost with the love of Christ, to be, here's the value how it's worded for us as a church family, to be outward focused. If that truly is your value, if that truly is your mission, is it not also on our hearts to transform communities with the gospel one home at a time? And the best way, the, the way that most stands out in today's very judgmental, just get on social media if you don't believe me, very critical world is to be who we are. Gracious, generous people who can't be talked out of grace and generosity. Let people try to talk us out of grace and generosity like the Macedonians, you and I were determined to be generous people. And oh, how that makes us stand out in a world like ours today. When I, when I was talking to the leadership team, considering the call to come here, one, one of the leaders said to me, I think our sweet spot as a church is to reach with the gospel the people that are closest to our church building. In this community, Frankfurt, Mokina, New Lenox. And my question to you today is, considering the Macedonians and their generosity, are we today willing to be just as generous so that we can transform these communities and beyond, one household at a time, by letting people know about this joyous exchange that Jesus made for them. And I'm confident, I already know the answer, I'm confident that the answer is a resounding yes. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we are so grateful to be here today, so grateful to know of your generosity toward us. And Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to enter our hearts and minds and turn us into the kind of generous people that cannot be deterred, just as David could not be deterred, just as that widow offering her might could not be deterred, just as these Macedonian people could not be deterred. Fill us with your love, your forgiveness, your Holy Spirit, and help us be undeterred in pursuing people with the gospel and in transforming this community one household at a time. And I pray this, Lord God, in Jesus' name, amen.